Let's step back a little. Take a look inside our true self. Get comfortable in the uncomfortable. And let's embrace our reality. Life is tough, but so are you. Welcome to the Choose Your Attitude podcast with Nicholas Strand. Join Nick, author of Loving Someone Who's Dying, as he shares his experiences of life loss to life on the road as a traveling roadie. He and his guests will get into real topics while encouraging you to let go of the past, lift up the present, and fiercely build your better tomorrow. Let's get through this together. Now, here's your host, Nick Strand. Hey, welcome to the Choose Your Attitude podcast, where we discuss real life stuff, learn to master the only aspects we can control in life, and use it as a tool to make today the best day of your life. Every morning we wake up with a choice to make. What attitude are you going to create your life with today? We chat with people of all walks of life, people sharing their own stories and tips of some of life's most difficult journey. There is no proper way to do this correctly, besides talking about it, and walking through the process, no matter how difficult it may be. So let's train the elephant in the room together, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for some much-needed motivation? Maybe a new way to feel inspired. We know that life is tough, but so are you. Finding that perfect shirt you've been dreaming of is a tough journey, but we have you covered. That's why we are here with Choose Your Attitude Apparel, Wear it with confidence and remind yourself you're choosing a way to success. It is a constant reminder that you can share with others. Join the Choose Your Attitude community and share an attitude of style that others will want to be a part of. So get yours now at chooseyourattitude.com. Would you like to be a sponsor on the Choose Your Attitude podcast? Reach out to us at podcast at chooseyourattitude.com. Today, our guest is Ryan McEllum, adrenaline junkie, mountain biking as a hobby, but downhill skiing as a competitor. Only 22 years old, Ryan has had quite the experience in life, but a life full of lessons and accomplishments. A true lesson in overcoming our fear as we try and tackle the challenges of life. Ryan and his journey as a downhill skier really helps bring the idea of choose your attitude to life as he explains his life in constant hunger for that uncomfortable in the attempt to conquer that next big trophy. Now, here's our chat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Uh, we got Ryan McElman here, uh, United States World Cup downhill skiing and mountain biking. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the show. Good, man. Good, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's kind of crazy times in these sports right now. In the action sports world, it's a little bit tough with COVID and everything, but we're making the best of it. We're doing doing fun things like this to stay busy. So thanks for having me on, Nicholas. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, I, I ran into you as, as we kind of started to connect um, with the Choose Your Attitude Apparel. Uh, you were, uh, you, 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 ha- you got some, uh, you posted it for us. Yep. And um, you got quite the story I want to share and kind of an interesting aspect, I think, uh, to uh, fear, uh, to accomplishment, um, that I think would be a huge asset to a lot of people to kind of understand. Um, one of the first things yeah, I, yeah. I want to do is, is have you kind of discuss, um, a little bit of this downhill skiing. I mean, from what I was God, seeing, yeah. it's like, you know, you're going down, it says 80 miles an hour, 15, uh, f- uh foot story, um, jump, and you're going way up in the yeah, air yeah. and some house is supposed to land and make it all look natural and while you're in the air, do something crazy. Yep. Yep. So yeah, what I do, like every, I, I'm technically like everyone's an Alpine skier, I guess, cause there's Alpine skiers yeah. or Nordic skiers, Nordic skiers are like the cross country skiers and all that stuff. And then, uh, my specific discipline is called slope style. And that's when we go down, like you said, kind of go down real fast, basically as fast as we need to clear the jumps and everything. And it's basically skateboarding and gymnastics mixed yeah. in the mix in the skiing if you can kind of imagine that and then they put these handrails with rails you hold on to as you're walking down a stair set you know <laughs> they put these in the middle of the course and they basically say have at it 
be creative, do what you can. And, and we'll, it's a judge sport. So that's the yeah. thing. It's based off of, uh, creativity, difficulty, like general presentation of what you're doing, just overall impression. And yeah, it's pretty fun. I, I, I don't know. I just got into it when I was a little kid with my dad and I absolutely loved it. He just took me skiing and I always just wanted to be airborne, whether it was off a little mogul on the side of the trail or something. My dad was always, just, <laughs> I was just following him and he loved it. And I was basically just like a little brother chasing him around in a way. It was awesome. So did it, did it, was it simply skiing and then you somehow found an accident yeah. that took you in the air or, um, as you said, like skateboarding, um, you know, was it, was it trying to find a little bit something more than what you could do from skateboarding or, you know, what, what got you into, you know, doing that crazy stuff from what we see is crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I just, when I would go skiing with my dad, like I said, he, he got into skiing really late in his life and he just absolutely loved it. Like ended up being one of his biggest passions. So he wanted to obviously introduce me to it so we could go do that together. And he absolutely loved just flying down the mountain. So I kind of just learned pretty quick that if I wanted to go ski, then I had to be able to keep up and wherever he was going, I had to go chase him around. My mom and dad actually put me on skis when I was two, pretty much before I could walk. (laughs) <laughs> and they were just like, they would just push me. And that was, that was yeah. that. And let me do my thing. And my dad would actually ski backwards and swing me back and forth with his ski poles so that I could learn it. And I would have oh, to wow. look behind him and be like, Oh, so it was <laughs> yeah. kind of like learning skiing second nature. At that point, I was more worried about making sure he wasn't hitting anyone yep. and my feet were just oh, wow. doing it naturally. So it became second nature at a really young age. And then as it progressed, I was always kind of just a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, like just yeah. that's how I got into biking too. Basically yeah. the same exact thing as skiing. My mom and dad got me into it really young and I just always wanted to keep up with my dad. So yeah. he was just, like I said, bigger, basically an older brother who pays for everything. That's what I called him when I was little. No, <laughs> I, I love it. So, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, um, you know, I love to see, you know, taking, uh, you know, I don't want to downplay video games by no means because we're yep. obviously learning that video games are, you know, a lot more than what they used to be uh, now that they... Yeah, we all should have paid attention to our Call of Duty careers a little more. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, I mean, to bring it to life, you're out there doing this stuff, um, adrenaline. Um, and as you go through it, all of a sudden you start competing. And um, I did see that you had a couple injuries that kind of set you back. And um, you got all the way uh, to the Olympics. Uh, is, is, that, is that true? Uh, so we got to the Olympic trials. So in, in the U.S., there's so much talent in all of the sports. Like the talent pool for every sport is yeah. just absolutely amazing. Just so many resources, so many coaches and stuff. So it's really, really competitive once you get to that Olympic year. And in our sport, it works uh, the year that I was in it, there was five qualifiers oh, geez. and yeah. you had to, qual- you had to basically qualify for those qualifiers. And I was lucky enough to make it in that year and went through all those qualifiers, but I was pretty young. I was a uh, 17 or 18 years old wow. going into that. Yeah. And that was my first time really trying out and going through those trials. So I was definitely the underdog going against a bunch of veterans and, uh, had a little bit of a rough go here and there, but like just the experience was incredible. Like there's nothing nothing like it. It's such a cool thing to experience at such a young age and hoping to get it again here, depending on what COVID does, whatever <laughs> COVID plans for us. But hopefully we'll go into this one a little bit more prepared and ready to send. Are you, are you basically practicing every single all year long or is it kind mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say definitely practicing all year long. We need little bits and breaks yep. here and there. And that's kind of why I resort on biking. Cause it's yep. a good cross training thing keeps all those like quick twitch muscles firing, oh, keeps yeah. the brain firing really fast. And it's just a nice little balance. It's, it's really similar, but also a polar opposite in the way. Yeah. So it's, it's a balance of the opposites. Basically it's awesome. It just keeps, like I said, keeps everything firing, keeps the adrenaline going, but it also trains completely different parts of your body. But when we're not, when I'm not mountain biking and stuff, I'm up on this massive airbag. It's I saw it's pretty that. hard. To, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty hard to like even explain to the general public. Yeah. But it's literally like imagine a bounce house that's yep. 300 feet long and 150 feet wide. And it's a 
softness and you can pretty much land yeah. like on your head if you know what you're doing and like yeah. walk away from it rather than being paralyzed. I, so that's, we spend all of our time learning the tricks on that because it minimalizes consequence. It doesn't get rid of it completely, but it minimalizes. Yeah. When you're learning these things, like it gets to the point where if you mess up, like you're going to be seriously messed up. So anything yeah. that we can do to minimize that risk, keep our bodies in good shape and just like live to ski another day. That's, that's kind of what we do. That, um, so basically allowing you to put a little bit more focus on the trick as you go in the air uh, mm-hmm. to, and, and work on the landing a little bit later. So as you, as you work on that trick while you're in the air, you don't have to work, focus so quickly on the landing. And then eventually, yep. once you get that air stuff figured out, then all of a sudden you're trying to turn that back and hopefully land perfect on yep. the ma- on that pad. And then eventually yep. you get the courage to try it in the air and actually land on the the snow, which is got to be like concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the snow we ski on. Luckily, luckily the the groomers usually do a pretty good job for our competition, and there's a little bit of squish to it. Yeah, and that's the nice part about living in the West Coast. Is the snow's a little bit softer than where I grew up on the East Coast. Yeah, but yeah, snow is pretty pretty firm. When you hit the ground the wrong way, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great. So we do our best to obviously try to land every time. That's a no brainer. Yeah, but um, putting in those hours, practicing, getting air awareness is what we call it. Yeah, any trampolinist, acrobat, any of that stuff. When you refer to just like being air, they'll all know what air awareness means and. Just trying to basically be as comfortable upside down, forty feet off the ground, as you are standing on your feet. Yeah, just like fully planted and normal. That that's kind of just spatial awareness and air awareness, knowing what to do if things go wrong, and yeah. what to do to hopefully keep things going perfectly right. So uh, we just do a lot of practice with that. To it's it's similar to what a lot of other athletes do, and yeah. like military and stuff. Like getting in, you always want to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. So that you know what to do when that uncomfortable situation, basically. Learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, exactly. It's, you know, I, I, I see the, the, the parallel uh, with life. Um, and and mm-hmm. as you said, um, you know, <laughs> landing can, if, if not done right, um, without that pad uh, can hurt. Um, and, uh, yeah. you did have an injury and, uh, uh, ACL that you had to, uh, do surgery on. Um, can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit about that injury and how that kind of, uh, set, set you back in your, um, you know, your, your goals to try to, you know, get to the Olympics and, um, you know, get, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, get to a higher podium. Mm-hmm. So, so when I was 15, I was up in my first big competition in Whistler up in uh, British Columbia. I'd say that was my first like really big competition, you know, going against like a bunch of pros that I'd look up to forever. And uh, the second day of this, there was gnarly up there, like really crazy. Second day of practice, I just went into the last jump in the course, went off the jump, had hit it five times before that, like perfectly fine, whatever. Went in, went in the next run and was midair and just like looked down at the ground to get my spot points to see where I was at. And there was just this like gale force wind that rolled through. And literally I couldn't see anything except blowing snow. And I just saw the landing disappearing. Like there's lines on the landings. And like, usually you want to stay within those lines. If you land at the first line, it was probably a little small. If you land at the fourth line, it was probably a little bit big. And like, that's kind of the general, the general gist of it. And I was literally like 50, 60 feet past the last line like just because of this gale force wind like we're wearing big baggy clothes we're basically parachutes yeah i was already going to the third or fourth line and this wind came and just took me and like i've never had a moment where i've literally looked down and been like i'm gonna die but (laughs) that was a moment where i was in the air at the level of the chairlift like looking at my friends on the chairlift looking down at the ground gale force wind snow ripping like i looked down and i remember thinking like I might die. <laughs> like that's how yeah. that's how crazy it was. And like I said, I was 15 years old. Hit the ground, bounce, roll, knee myself in the face, like launch like 30 feet. Somehow was like pretty much okay. Like yeah. got up and was like, oh, my knee hurts pretty bad, but like I think I'm all right. Yeah. So that one was actually ended up being a little bit worse than just like getting up and being okay. Fractured my tibial plateau, bone bruised my femur, 
and strained my ACL in that knee. So that was wow. kind of, it was just, and then the next year, actually, I came back, was at a stupid little competition, not nearly as cool of a story. I had a, a real basic mistake and just felt my knee pop. And that was the full ACL. Uh. And that was like the worst that was Uh. same thing like i did it it was such a stupid injury like basically you know everyone's like oh you can get hurt stepping off the sidewalk like that's basically how simple this mistake was yeah and felt my knee pop and was like oh that hurts like sat there for a minute and then got up and just put my skis on and skied down to the lodge because i was like like i I think i'm all right like the burning went away everything was away so i was just trying to convince myself at that point that the pop was just scar tissue or something Uh. So, but that ended up being a fully torn ACL and, uh, that's, that was brutal at 16 years old, like 15 and 16 years old to have back to back, like season ending injuries. Oh, Those are kind of your last two years of being like a, a fearless rubber made little kid at that yeah. point. And then once 17, 18 comes around, you're a little bit bigger. You have a little bit, you're a little bit farther through like puberty and maturing. So real fear kicks in like at that point you think you know fear but you don't really know what fear is until you're actually more mature yeah and uh that was definitely tough but i think in the end i I became stronger out of it i like i learned a lot through it all my sponsors and everything luckily stuck by my side and supported me my parents everyone it was a really great like a really unfortunate thing to happen but i think in the end it was it, it worked out for the better like obviously Things never happened. Who knows where I'd be right now? But yep. I learned a lot. I wouldn't want to change anything now. Learned a lot, went through it, came back stronger, and uh, kind of just got right back on the grind after that. And obviously the whole shebang, PT, rehab, all that stuff. But no one wants to hear about that stuff. It was just <laughs> learned a lot and came out of it stronger and better the next season and actually had a had a pretty good season the next year. And then the year after that was the Olympic trials and stuff. So it was pretty sick. It was not the worst timing like it wasn't an olympic year none of that so learned a lot and i'm pretty pretty grateful for how easy everything was regardless of the tragedy so you know here's a story of you know this this little kid going down a hill with his his dad um exploring the simpleness of skiing um Mm -hmm. and taking it to a whole nother level to you know, those in the audience or even me as I watch your videos, even even with that, you know, the pad <laughs> that you land on um, and then having these injuries, you know, as as a person, like you said, with that, you know, trying to learn how to feel uncomfortable, but be confident in that uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. How has have have you noticed any of your you know, I'm I'm not saying kids to like, you know, go be a downhill skier or an intense mountain <laughs> yeah. biker, but have you seen any realizations or things that you've learned in overcoming those challenges um, to try to do that big trick, to try to overcome mm-hmm. that fear um, or even with these injuries, overcoming that and, and mm-hmm. keeping that mm-hmm. hunger going Um as, as you know, you know, w- w- with an injury like that, it's not like tomorrow you get to go back on. So there, it, it's yeah. a whole mental game. But with that compared to life, uh, now being at uh, 20, 22 years old now. Um, yep. Yep. Just turned 22. Um, how, how have you connected at all some of those lessons to life itself and some of the things you've experienced mm. um, as a human outside of that adrenaline yep. sport? I think one of the biggest things that I've always found myself repeating to people when they ask these like questions of how do you do this crazy stuff or any of that, or what have you learned from it? One thing that I've always found myself saying, even from the time I was like 12 years old, is being able to distinguish, to distinguish the difference between fear and nerves. Ooh. And if you're, yes. if you're really, really scared of something, there's a way different feeling in your stomach and in your head and in your heart like as corny as it sounds like way different internal feeling than being nervous nervous is something that i think you feel when you know you can do it or you know you've put in the work to be able to do it but you just have to do it and you're nervous for the outcome whereas fear is fully doubting either your ability or the preparation that went into it or 
just something out of your control that might be spooking you in your head. I think being able to distinguish that difference on the spot is something that is, I guess, calculated crazy is what my family or my mom's always called it. When people (laughs) ask her, they're like, how do you let Ryan do this stuff? She's (laughs) like, Oh, he's calculated crazy. He's, he's crazy, but like, he's pretty calculated. He doesn't just like go send himself off a building. Like he does the math in his head first, you know? Yeah. But I think being able to distinguish that difference has been something that I've kind of applied across my whole life, whatever it is, whether it's going into a test or going into uh, a tryout for a different sport. Like I used to play hockey stuff or going for a run, going into a hard workout, going in for a job application, like pretty much anything. I think you can always distinguish nerves from fear and nerves are really good that I've like, I've found that being nervous and having those butterflies are great because your body goes into kind of a hyper-focus, like a little bit of a flow state. Like once you, like once you drop in like the slope style course or the mountain and you're just doing the thing that you prepared months for, but like you might be nervous, but you're ready because you know, you prepared for that. Your body just goes into this flow and you just do it. And nerves are kind of like the initial it's like right before you like light the fuse, you know? Mm, and then yeah. once you light the fuse, flow state goes and it's, but fear is like really like when you dr- go to drop in and do a trick and you're like scared, you shouldn't do it. Like yeah. <laughs> or when you go to take a test and you're, you didn't study, you're scared you're going to fail, you know? But if you yeah. go into a test and you know, you studied for six hours at that point, you know, you have the tools to succeed. It's just a matter of using those tools the right way. I think that's kind so, of the easiest way to explain it to the general public is like, did you study for the test? No, you're scared yep. to fail. Did you study for the test? Yes. You're just nervous because you hope you remember and you can use the tools that you have. I, you know, I, I love it. Um, and, and it, it, it almost gave me butterflies because, you know, I, I see the parallel and, and um, what mm-hmm. I would call it is almost confidence of self. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not only confidence of self, but what I loved is as you explained it, I could understand that your relationship Mm -hmm. with fear and nervousness Mm -hmm. is a very close relationship and you understand how it speaks to you. Yeah. See, and, and I think that is very important. And I think that's one thing that, um, would relate to many other things from, you know, somebody going through trauma or even, you know, dreams, you know, kind of like you do mm-hmm. is, is, you know, being, being able to not suppress your fear, not suppressing mm-hmm. your nerves, but learning how to communicate with it and using mm-hmm. it as a mm-hmm. tool rather than to push it away and, uh, yeah, almost be fear of your fear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And fear, like fear isn't a bad thing either. That's not what I'm saying. Whereas like, you should always feel nervous. You should never be afraid. Like if you're afraid, don't do it. Like there's certain times where pushing through that fear is a good thing. You know, yeah. like sometimes when you're in the practice phase of whatever the the journey, I guess, learning a new trick, like the first time I go to do it, even though it's onto that airbag or whatever, I'm still scared. Like yeah. I, I know I, there's still fear. It's It's not like we're never scared. And I'm just saying I only get butterflies and I'm never like, Oh my God, I hope this doesn't go wrong because no one's that mentally headstrong. You know? But yeah. there's, there's definitely that fine line of knowing the difference between like really, really scared and negative yeah. fear and negative thoughts and that just that little bit of like, okay, I'm going to take this risk. Like, let's do it. And that applies, like you said, I think that applies to a lot of things. And I've always been a too. <laughs> risk is insanely yeah. high and the reward is really not much. Like if it's not going to change your life, then then definitely try to try to balance that try to balance that risk reward that's a huge thing i i, I think it's uh it's 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 beautiful to to hear that cuz like like you said i i can see those connections and and i think that's very extreme and powerful um now as you as you went through all these different things you did have kind of a um a difficult time um and uh sammy j uh, uh in 2017 um you had lost him um, and he had passed away. Yeah. Um, can you kind of describe that and um, how that kind of affected you? Yeah, man, that was, that was a heavy one. That was probably, 
I think to this day, one of the most pivotal moments, I'd say, if I had to put it, I'm trying to figure it. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Probably most pivotal moment in, in my young life. Um, it was, it was pretty tough to deal with. I had never dealt with anything like that. I had lost family members and I had lost like other friends, but I had never lost someone that close to me doing the exact same thing that I do every day. It was really different to have some, like one of my best friends pass away doing the thing that we all loved the most because it could have just been any of us. Like it was such a freak accident that, um, that was pretty hard pill to especially because he was so talented. So for the people that don't know that are listening, Sam, Sammy J is uh, who we're referring to, and his name was uh, Sam Jackenthal. And he was one of the most talented skiers, rollerbladers, all-around athletes, and just like pure, like genuine ray of light that like just rained down on this world. Like you met this kid, you smiled. There was, in my mind, anyone that met this kid, you were going to smile. And uh, the even harder thing was, this was the year I was injured. So I wasn't even on the trip where he passed away. Mm. Usually we're on every, we were on every trip together, like traveling all over the world, practicing with each other, skiing with each other. And, uh, he was like a little brother to our whole group. He was just that like fun, crazy little brother. And I was sitting at home rehabbing my knee from ACL surgery. And my other best friend, Nate was, uh, on the trip in Australia because that's where we would have been training at this or where I would have been training at this time, but they were all there and I was injured. And, uh, he just texts me and goes, Sam fall. And I'm like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like say we all fall all the time. Like we're fine. We get up, we slam, like we break bones. We get, we get injured. We do what we do home injured. You know, I'm like, whatever, he'll be fine. He'll just, I'm expecting him to say like, Oh, he blew his knee or like, Oh, he has something bad. But then he goes, it's bad. And he had never texted me anything like that in my life. Like there's been a bunch of people that fell and, uh, he just, he was going off a rock doing a little trick that we all do on the daily. And he just wanted to go a little bit bigger and a little bit farther than everyone else. Cause that's how Sam was. He was just a savage. And that's why we all loved him so much. And the rock caught his edge a tiny bit right as he went off and he just fly swattered basically like, Imagine a mouse trap like closing. Oh geez, yeah. That is the basically what he did. Like he was flying through the air and then his skis landed sideways and he like became like a mouse trap essentially and took a really violent fall and um got a traumatic brain injury, um damaged his brain stem and passed away a few weeks later in Australia while I was home. All my friend like I said, all my friends were on this trip with him. And his parents flew out there and everything. And so I was back in Park City, basically with like the few other stragglers that were back home because of like not being able to go to Australia or just whatever. So it was we were so separated from it, which made it even harder. But like I said, Sam was kind of a ray of sunshine on everyone's life. And um, we all just turned it into a really positive thing after the obvious grieving process. We didn't want to do it too quick and make it seem like we were just brushing it off our shoulders, but yeah. we had an amazing celebration of life for him at the water ramps at that Olympic park up oh. in, um, in Utah. And they, every, all the ski jumpers were launching. They were playing Katy Perry and Taylor Swift <laughs> and like fireworks, the whole shebang. Everyone climbed up onto the ramps afterwards, fully clothed and went over and did a bunch of, tricks and flips and everything fully clothed into the pool just to (laughs) celebrate him and it ended with Uh this huge smile and from that point on i think that set the tone for how everyone wanted to remember sam no one wanted to remember sam as crying sad oh my god like tragedy we remembered it as like sam was a badass sam was crazy yeah let's do everything we can to remember this kid and now we have a guardian angel on our shoulders so whenever you don't want to do something just think what would sammy J do and we actually made up, not we, the, his, his family and his closest friends made up a, a saying called just Jack and thaw it. Cause that was his last name. <laughs> so whenever anyone's scared, you're like, Oh, just Jack and thaw it. <laughs> and, um, that was a pretty crazy experience going through it, but similar, obviously completely different scale to my knee injuries, yeah. but similar as similar tragedy to where the outcome of it was really positive and everyone in the whole community, the whole ski team pretty much everyone in the whole town, whole country that knew Sam 
just really used it as like, all right, let's, let's spread a little bit of extra happiness and positivity for Sam because he's not here and he can't do it himself. So let's all do it as a community. And that was, that was pretty amazing to, to witness and to go through. And it was life changing. We don't waste, we don't waste a single moment of our lives anymore after Sammy J we didn't before, but we really don't now. (laughs) You know, it's, um, life as you, as you know, going through that, um, it's short and, and to, to, I, I, I'm not in a sport like this. So as I ask this question and, and talk through this, you know, I, I'm only talking from my, from from the outside approach. But I could only imagine how, you know, here's this thing happening. You're hurt and you're supposed to be there. Um, you know, that's tough. But then at the same time, too, you have the weight of now experiencing that what that fear would equate to. Um, How, how does that ever connect? Um, How do you ever, uh, uh, you know, get through that? And, and um, because obviously, you know, life is short. And Mm -hmm. um, if we wait and we, we listen too much to the fear we're not able to get to the titles like you have and do those different things. Um, so Mm -hmm. how, how did you kind of get through that mentally? Um, and yeah. So basically, are you asking like getting past the fear of, uh, one of our closest friends dying, doing exactly what we love, basically the kind of the possibility that that could be us, that type of thing. Yeah. The, I mean, there's, there's a whole construct of your friend passing, but then at mm-hmm. the same time, that fear that your family has, that your friends have that aren't in the sport as well, that see oh. that around. And and, yep. and and then even you yourself, you know, uh, you don't see an, a, an extreme accident like that. And so mm-hmm. you become a little bit more, I don't want to use the word fearless, because mm-hmm. as you said, it's not that you don't have fear. But now that mm-hmm. that comes in, it's almost like, I could see a step back um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. You, you now have an injury from it. And then at the same time, you lose a friend from it. Um, yep. The complex. I think it's that. just uh, that. Yeah, that's I see. I totally understand what you say, what you're saying. I think it's just being in the action sports and adrenaline sports world. I think it takes a little bit of a, uh, special mindset in a way to even want to get into it because it's, it's like adrenaline is kind of the purest drug you can get in a way. (laughs) I I guess that's pretty much the only thing. I mean, you hear about action sports, people dying monthly, you know, it it just all the, some of the biggest legends in our sports have died. Just realistically trying to go for that next dose of like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And I think, I think that craving to just always do the next craziest thing or to learn that next trick, to get that next like dopamine rush of landing that trick you've been dreaming of your whole life, just inner, I think it's, I don't know, it's, I guess it's just an inner motivation to, it's how we cope in a way, I guess is like when I always tell people, they're like, they're like, what, what do you, like, how, how do you do all these crazy things? It's just, it's the most like pure form of living as corny as that sounds. You hit you're it, doing yeah. when you're doing these things that you just absolutely love. You don't think about it in the moment. Like when I'm in a slope style runner, like when I'm dropping in to do a trick back to the, if I'm dropping in to do it a trick and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die like as I'm dropping into it or what if I die right now? Boom. Okay. That's fear. Call it. Don't do it. Like come back another day, sleep on it. But if you're dropping, when you're dropping in to do a trick, dropping in for a mountain bike racing run or anything, it's literally the most pure blissful form of being in the moment that you can possibly imagine. And I, I hate sounding so corny about this, but it really is just, there's nothing like it. There's, there's yep. absolutely nothing like when it's all on the line, 
literally life is on the line and you come away from it, like that, that feeling is something that you can't really match. And once you get one taste of it, I think it's just something you crave forever. Really? Like there's, when I land a run and that like pure ecstasy comes over you, or when I do a mountain bike race and I get to the bottom and I'm in one piece and I'm healthy and I had a great run. There's, there's like no feelings like those pure life moments where you're just absolutely like, there's nothing, you don't think about anything else. You, you almost black out completely go into this flow state and it's, it's, it's the best. <laughs> it like gives me chills talking about it. I am I, um, I, 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 right there with you. The, the words you, I didn't want to give you the words cause you, uh, I wanted to hear it from you and you actually went, you, you, you said them in, in my head. Yeah. What I was hearing is living in the present mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, um, not again, not saying you have to go be an adrenaline junkie to live no, in the all. present, but I think this is a great extreme example of how sometimes when life is threatened, we do a better job of living. Exactly. Exactly. When life isn't threatened, we sometimes take too much for granted and we, Mm -hmm. we wait, we wait for that right time. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a perfect example of how I could guarantee. And, and this is, you know, a question I have coming up, but those around you are, you know, are scared about that because they don't see the present They're you know, they're more worried of what could happen. But like you said, is by taking your fears and kind of setting them aside, but also learning what they are, you can become more present and you can live and actually live that life you want of quality rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, the 10 years of never being able to do that. And look at all the things you've succeeded in, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to, with that, um, outside of that failures along the way, but it's definitely, like you said, it's, and like you said, it doesn't, you don't have to go out and be an extreme sports athlete, any of that crazy stuff. That's just like, that's the fuel that plenty of people I know I've had the same exact conversation with musicians with artists, with just pure scholars. Like some people get this exact rush when they, when they like go into their test and they're like, bang, like doctors, nurses, all the surgeons. I've had this exact conversation with so many different people. Musicians stand out to me the most because that's, that's the one that I've, I've actually talked to. I think the most and had the most relation to is they just, they just go with it. They just flow and they love it. And a lot of the time musicians too are pretty like put aside by their family. That's kind of just the, the general consensus. They're like, Oh, you want to be a rock star? Like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) But like, that's way crazier to me. Like just fully stepping away from everything and chasing your dreams of doing that because there's really nothing to show for it. Like for, for us, at least we can kind of show that we're pretty good at what we do, but unless you get noticed by a record label, unless like that song gets published like there's a lot less to show for it, but they just, it makes them happy. Whatever takes them in the, into their, their Zen, their zone and makes them just feel like they're living. That's exactly, uh, I think what the general message should be like, whatever, whatever makes you go into that flow state and makes you just absolutely love every second, just pure bliss. Just do it. Just it's do a, it. It's Even if you only have a little bit every day to do it. It's a deeper core of happiness as opposed to uh, a happiness on the surface and a sadness inside mm-hmm. from suppressing that. Um, you, you, you mentioned family and, and I've kind of gone around that and, and I actually do want to get into that now. Um, have you, you know, with, without throwing anybody under the bus, um, but with family mm-hmm. and friends around you, have you dealt with doubt? And, and you could almost, you could almost use yourself, um, as, as a mm-hmm. person as well. But, um, like you said, sometimes when you use these as, as, as a tool that your happiness is, and you go in that when somebody doesn't see that core heart speak, um, mm-hmm. as clear as it is to you when you're on top of the hill, it's not clear to most of the others. And so sometimes the reaction is a little bit of doubt. It's a little bit of, um, uh, 
I don't want to use the word negativity because it it, um, it is negative in a way, but it, it's to them they they don't see it as negative. It, it, it they're trying to help, if you will. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that that doubt. How how do you uh, process that, and and have you dealt with that um, in getting to your success? Yeah, definitely a little bit. Luckily, my parents and pretty much all my closest friends around me have always been pretty supportive. My parents, especially like they've been over the moon supportive from the start. And, uh, I've actually been with my girlfriend for six years now and she's, she's a downhill Alpine skier too. She's insane. Like she's, she's crazy. She does everything that I do and more. I'm always chasing her around. So luckily my parents and my girlfriend and my girlfriend's family, everyone has been insanely over the top supportive, especially since I've moved out to Utah. But I'd say when I lived back east, that was one of the main things that I was trying to move away from was that doubt. And as back there, it's more the the traditional sports world. Like if you're a skier, skateboarder, biker, you're kind of a loser. You know, like if you're not playing hockey, basketball, Ivy League sports, you're kind of just an outcast. And I was really serious in hockey. That was I was I'd say equal talent level hockey to skiing. And it was really hard to give that up. But um. Yeah, I'd say the East Coast people were definitely more doubtful, but not not so much doubtful. It's just they didn't understand. Like you said, they don't Ego. understand that core. Like, I want to be a skier. Like, they think I'm going to go move out to Utah and <laughs> go live in a van and like yep. just like just ski, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to go out and chase my dreams of being a real professional athlete, like being the kids that I or the guys that I watched in movies when I was 10 and 12 years old. And yeah, the East Coast people were definitely a little bit hard to understand and hard to get it through to them what I was doing. So I, and when I was back there, I felt like I was just being held back by this doubt because their doubt was getting put into my head. And I kind of outgrew the East Coast a little bit. I felt like I felt like the opportunity was in Utah, in Colorado, in these states where skiing really was respected and it was a real sport in people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely a big big pivotal move was kind of just surrounding myself by skiers, not, uh, Ivy league athletes, I guess is the, the best way to put it. It was definitely just surrounding myself with people like-minded. Like when I came out here and I have a goggle tan on my face, I don't look (laughs) weird. I I fit in, you know, (laughs) when I go back East to Boston and I have a goggle tan on my face, people like come up to me and they're trying to wipe off my face. They're like, ah, son, you got something, uh, you got something on your face. Let me see. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just the goggle tan. They're like goggles. What do you mean? I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) So it's all right. So uh, if, if we were to flip that, um, Mm -hmm. because you know, I, I like to look at at all perspectives and, and try to understand and try to help. So, you know, here we are on the inside and you're receiving a little bit of this. Let's say you're on the other side and, and you're the one who sees somebody and you're trying to support them. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say to them as a way of, you know, uh, being able to give you, and, and I don't, so when I say support, I feel like it's forcing the idea that you have to support it. And that's not what I'm mm-hmm. asking. I'm I'm asking more in like, how to help them help you and, and, and almost help themselves as well in that process. Um, you know, like, uh, how do you help your, how do you, how do you create the confidence in a person you're trying to support, um, Mm -hmm. to better understand how their heart speaks with that skill? Does that make sense? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I think just being honest with yourself is, is huge. That's, that's one thing. If you want to be a rock star and <laughs> you can't play the guitar, you can't play the drums, your voice is horrible. Like I, I think there's obviously a certain level of being like purely honest with yourself and yep. not having like hopeless optimism. But also knowing that like really practice can get you anywhere. If if you really love something enough and you see yourself working hard at it for those 10,000 hours that they say it takes to master something, then really anything's possible. But it's, I think just telling someone how much hard work they're going to have to put in. If that scares you, then don't, then don't do it. 
But if you're like, Hey, you're going to have to put 10,000 hours into this before you even get to the point where you're like remotely good at it or where you're going to start seeing success. And if there's doubt in their mind from the start, don't do it. I think just having that no doubt mindset, knowing you can do it. This is a hard one to explain uh, because I I sound pretty brutal right now and I don't mean to. No, you're good. Just knowing you can do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This one. You you know, it's, um, as you said, one of the things I I, I think I see is the consistency. So, Mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes what happens is people see the finish line. I'm one of them as well. I want yeah. to get to the finish line. But what we forget is that journey. Yeah. And I relate and, to that huge. Yeah. And in the consistency. And what that consistency is is waking up every single day going, I didn't get it yesterday, but I know how what I'm gonna try today to get one step further. Yeah. Um and and one thing I would say maybe too is on the outside of like you know, um, seeing a little bit deeper of that consistency. And if they got that consistency, that that's where, you know, I, I feel the proof mm-hmm. is rather than the success. Um, sometimes if, if that makes sense, cause it's like, you know, I, as I you, yeah, as you said, the 10,000 hours, it takes somebody, uh, to get there. Um, but it's less of the skill it's more of the consistency because as they do it and if they're continuing that, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're bound to get somewhere if they, if they keep yeah. going. But like you said, sometimes, sometimes you can't make, you know, I was one of those that wanted to be on the stage. You, you, you can't yeah. do it if you don't got it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If you keep trying, you know, there, there is, you know, that consistency. So, um, yep. Being open-minded and also a lot like, yeah, you actually kind of just spurred up a lot in my head with exactly what you were saying. Being open-minded and enjoying the journey, like you said, yeah. because I think as long – one thing that was really comforting from the start when I was 12 years old, one of my first ski coaches told me, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah. And Because there was like this one kid that did a trick before me and he beat me in a competition and I was so mad about it. But I was like, I can do that. Like, Why don't you let me do that? Like I could have beat him. He's like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. He's like, you could do that, but you're going to skip the five steps it takes to get there. And then when you go to take that next step, you're going to be screwed. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. He's like, we need to pound the fundamentals into you. We need to teach you these things so that when you want to take it to that next level and the coach isn't there to tell you how to do it, you have the tools and you're ready to do it. And enjoying that journey, like you said, is huge because you never know what you're going to learn along the journey too is you're on that journey. You might find something you like more or mm-hmm. you might like, I know a lot of skiers that end up going into ski coaching because they find the passion way more in helping younger kids get to the level that they wanted to be at. And they get whatever X amount of steps through their ski career. And they're like, I just want to help someone. I just want to teach someone mm-hmm. the yes. things that I want to learn or and I think just trusting, like exactly, you hit the nail on the head with this one, trusting that process and enjoying the journey and not focusing on that finish line. Because there's so many times where I've been, let's say, in Europe for one ski competition or whatever. And if I didn't enjoy those six days before the ski competition, like skiing with my friends, training, learning new tricks, going out to eat, like experiencing life there, then when I got to that competition and I didn't have the outcome I wanted, I would have... I would have been heartbroken. You know, if I was like, I got to win, I got to win, I got to win. I can't have fun. I got to win. Then I, I would have had regrets, but just enjoying that journey, enjoying the process, absorbing everything along the way. And knowing that if you don't get the finish line product that you want, that you still progressed and you still learned and you still became better through the process, regardless of the outcome, like so many life skills have been learned through skiing and biking and all the things that I've done, regardless of if I won the competition, I would not change any of the experiences I've had just because of the lessons I've learned and the things that I've seen and done along the way. And I think knowing that, like you said, if you're willing to do be consistent and learn, then along the way, no time is a waste. It it was all, everything had a value. And I think that's huge. 
And I think that's really comforting too, is knowing that no matter what goes along on the journey, good, bad outcomes, whatever, it's all learning and you're, it's all skills you're going to use at some point. So there's yeah. no, there's no wrong answer and there's no wrong journey. Like you said, even if you're Definitely. hopelessly optimistic and you're doing something that you absolutely know you can't do, like you're still learning, you're still yep. progressing and you're still making yourself better in some aspect or another. And I think that's huge and that's comforting and that kind of inspires confidence to do whatever you want. The, the struggle almost makes the win even more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. When you, when you battle for something for a long time and it doesn't just come at the snap of a finger, I think, I think that's one real big issue with our day and age right now yeah. too, is Instagram likes are so <laughs> instant at the click of a finger. Like all these things are so instant, so much instant gratification in our generation and like, I guess that's kind of just the way we've been raised yeah. that, that kids just expect that to happen when they go get a career too. And yep. that, the hard truth is it just doesn't 99% of the time you got to actually work for it. It, uh, I would say from my journey and the things I've done, um, is, is that sometimes it, it's, it almost makes you more hungry for the more difficult yeah. stuff or the, the bigger struggle because that finish line you know, feels so good. And so mm -hmm. each time you want to up it and make it a little bit more challenging because mm -hmm. when you get there, it means something and it means something to you. It doesn't, it's, yep. it's not the other people. It, it's, Definitely. it's to you. No, I and when you overcome thing, when you overcome something crazy, like you're saying, it makes that next challenge seem even easier. Yeah. It seems makes that next challenge, even if it is a bigger challenge, it seems less daunting because you're like, oh, I just did that. Why can't I do this? Rather than just like looking at this massive daunting issue right in front of your face and you're like, I can't tackle this. No way. But from yeah. that experience, like you're saying, you can, it kind of gives you that feeling of I can do anything, that confidence. Uh, kind of like a person in the audience like me looking at what you do, like <laughs> how the heck can you do that? But at the same time to you, it's just, you know, uh, uh, you know, the 20,000, <laughs> can't even say it, but you know, the, the many hours you've spent doing it. Um, yep. and, and, you know, there's that one small thing you're working on every single time. Um, so mm -hmm. in your head, you're, you've got that to someone who hasn't even started. They mm -hmm. see that, you know, as, as something difficult, but, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's strong. Um, as, as a way to kind of uh, wrap this up and, and kind of bring it to an end, um, first is there kind of, I, I, I usually ask a question here. Um, so with, with choose your attitude, create your life is, is mm -hmm. um, the big logo. Um, and what I like to do, especially with our talk and everything, and then in, in your head, um, when you hear that, how do you interpret that? Choose your attitude, create your life. Whew. I really think it hits the nail on the head on its own and it, it explains everything it needs to explain. Um, when my mom or when I was 12 years old, my mom actually read me the book, the secret. I don't know if you've read that. Mm, no. And, uh, that just introduced the law of attraction, kind of just all general kind of human, human nature laws, all that. And from that point on, I've really believed that whatever you think you can create, like whatever you believe, whatever you really, really believe you can, it'll happen if you really want it to happen. And that choose your attitude statement definitely resonated with me pretty hard because it, it really is like if you wake up and you think today's going to suck, then today's going to suck. <laughs> like no, There's no two ways around it. If you wake up and you have a horrible day ahead of you, but you wake up, roll out of bed, you're like, I'm going to kick today in the ass. Like I'm going to, I'm going to yep. take today. Yep down no problem then just like that simple little like statement in the morning in your head to start that day you're going to crush it compared to yep. obviously the negative so i think choosing your attitude believing in yourself knowing the difference between fear and nerves and just going out and doing what you want whatever makes you happy whatever brings you that like pure living moment the, just as corny as it sounds all that yep. stuff, if if you just, like, everyone has bad days. I'm not saying go out and every day is <laughs> yep. a great day. But you can make your bad days better by putting on a smile or doing something nice for someone or 
whatever. I mean, when I wore the shirt in the photo that I posted, it was in the Zion Narrows. When I wore that shirt that day, we were the first one in the Narrows. And on the way out, there was probably 1,500 people walking up. And I've never gotten more compliments on a shirt in my life. It was crazy. The amount, because everyone is at Zion for the same reason, which is really cool. But it was like so crazy to me that all these people were reading my shirt and going, oh man, like, have a good day. Like, I love that shirt. Or, oh, like, choose your attitude. That's so cool. Where can I get that? And I love everyone it. was there for the same reason. Everyone was there to get an escape from their COVID life, get yep. an escape from their quarantine or whatever. And like, everyone was in the narrows that day to see something beautiful, have a good time, spend family time, like, all these like very positive things. Like no one was in, no one was like, okay, I'm going to go to Zion Narrows today, have a crappy day, complain (laughs) about it and be mad. Like, you know, everyone was like, everyone woke up to go to the Zion Narrows to see something life changing, have a lot of fun. And they chose their attitude that day to have a good day. And regardless of what you're doing, you can have a good day too. And as corny as that sounds like, it it is what it is and it was so cool to see that day how many people were stoked on my shirt just like literally a black shirt three words on it they're yep. pumped so many people yep. were so pumped I, I uh i i i it's very inspiring to hear that um and and at the yeah. same time i i will admit um to have a shirt like this and to think more on the the self side of having a shirt to remind yourself but to actually mm-hmm. get more encouragement from the outside in um, is mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Um, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think this, you know, this wraps up a, a, an amazing journey. Uh, uh, you have quite an amazing story. Um, you, Thanks, man. you know, with, with the adrenaline um, to, to doing these hardcore sports um, and, and, it really opens kind of, it, it, it brings challenges uh, to the surface and makes them visual. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one thing I, I, I love about, you know, kind of having you on and, and, you know, being able to see with the shirt and everything. And, um, you know, it, it, it really brings that type of struggle with some of our traumas that are not visual like this, um, yeah, but yeah. it helps you visualize it. And, um, I, I appreciate you ha- having you on. And um, is there anything y- you can think of outside of um, uh, how can people find you and, um, you know, give you some support? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Then uh, seriously, thank you for having me on. This is awesome. I love chatting. I love I'm actually a big podcast listener myself. I just love listening regardless of yeah. opinions, whatever. Like I yeah. love listening to whatever anyone has to say, because you're always going to learn something from it. And um I really appreciate you having me on. This was awesome. I hope I didn't ramble too much for everyone listening. No, it was perfect. Um, <laughs> sweet, sweet. Yeah. Um, so I'm on I'm, my first and last name, Ryan, R-Y-A-N underscore McKelman, M-C-E-L-M-O-N. If you want to remember it and tell your friends, it's like McLemon, but you switch E. That's the easiest. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and then um, – I'm on TikTok too, Ryan.McCalman. That's probably going to get taken down. There's a lot worse content on there. Nothing on TikTok is that great. I just get on there just because it's good to have a presence kind of everywhere. And um, someone asked me, how do you define success? And I thought of it as would 12-year-old Ryan be stoked on where 22-year-old Ryan is today? And... I, like I said, I had heard that from someone else. That's not my original thought. But when someone said, I read that in someone's Instagram caption or something, and I was like, oh my God, like that hits home completely. Yeah. And I think that regardless of where you are, successes, middle of your journey, end of your journey, retired, whatever, I think that statement, if you just remind yourself every morning when you wake up, like, would 10 or 12 year old you be happy of current version of you? That's like one of the, that, that statement alone has completely, like, I know for a fact, like it's made me do yep. things that I wouldn't before because I'm like, okay, like 12 year old Ryan would want you to do this. So just do it. Like, don't be a baby. So I love it. that, that statement was pretty cool to me. I, I always, 
I always love that one. No matter where you are, success is not like successful, homeless on the street, whatever. If if you're yep. twelve hooked on you, then you're you're crushing it. You're doing well. Sometimes our uh the adult life uh takes away from the child in us. Um but as simple mm-hmm. as that statement is, it still is extremely strong. Um yeah. and uh I I had a discussion the other day about legacy and um you know if if you were to die tomorrow um you know the life that you've lived is, is that something you know that that you feel and I, I think that resonates with that you know is is the 12 year old you would they be happy with who you are now um Absolutely. and again it's that self strength in yourself um that, Absolutely. that's awesome um it's huge. That statement's up. Um, whenever I'm whenever I'm feeling down in the dumps too, I always think of that statement and it always cheers me up. That's always a good one. No, that's great. Um it's true too, because it like, you know, here we are in our adult life and there's so many things that stresses us out. And I remember being a kid being like, I just want to be an adult. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Yep. And now we're an adult and it's like trying to take all those things and put them aside, just thinking of it is like, um, as we grow, we learn more, we see more, mm-hmm. and those become uh, fears. And, Definitely. you know, and so that's, you know, that that's huge. Um, and you could almost relate that to like your, uh, with Sammy J or your injury um, and stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. To reach out to Nick and the Choose Your Attitude community, find us on social media at Choose Attitude Create Life. Share your attitude with the world with merch guaranteed to encourage at chooseyourattitude.com. Be sure to share us with friends, family, and colleagues. And while you're at it, leave us an uplifting review. We'd very much appreciate it. Check back for new episodes. Until next time, choose your attitude, create your life. Oh, 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 oh,